0: This podcast is going to look at training zones. Training zones or levels are not a new thing. They have been around for quite a while for prescribing intensities for exercise sessions. The zones are usually aligned to different metrics, such as aerobic and anaerobic threshold, VO2 max, heart rate max, or max power. They're also used for targeting different energy systems and muscle fiber types. They are predominantly used by endurance athletes, although can be adopted for most training regimes and types of athlete. There are varied, varied systems out there um, for having anything from four zones up to seven or eight. Some systems will have subcategories in their zones such as 5A, B and 5C, whereas other systems would separate these into different zones, 5, 6 and 7. There will be some types of metrics to indicate the intensity of the zone, typically heart rate, speed, pace, uh, uh, rate of perceived exertion, or power. Some will base the zones on maximal numbers, such as max heart rate, and maybe also resting heart rate along with that, to give a heart rate reserve. Or others on some type of threshold, such as lactic threshold, for instance in cycling, where functional threshold power is used to represent lactic threshold. Levels. I'm not going to go through any specific training zone model, but we will give you a generic generic overview of commonality between various models. You can then maybe go and use a model that you find most suits your needs. Triathletes may even use more than one model for over the three disciplines of swim, bike and run. Some models do maybe fit better with some exercise modes and the variations in metrics used to measure intensity. So zone one or level one for most models is very easy and usually relies below what people would refer to as the aerobic threshold. Energy for this zone will pretty much exclusively be provided by the aerobic system and once we kick start the system will burn nearly exclusively fats. The zone, unless done for a long period of time, will not stress the body enough to bring about much in the way of fitness or performance adaptations. It is a useful zone for the recovery between hard intervals or for recovery sessions. It is unlikely you will do an awful lot in this zone. Zone 2 is often referred to as an aerobic zone funnily enough because it targets the aerobic energy system and will give us adaptations to improve our use of the system. It's still pretty easy and will use predominantly fats as a fuel making us also more efficient at burning them that is why some intensities around here will sometimes be referred to as fat burning zones. But note the harder you go the more calories you burn the higher intensities of exercise, you can actually burn more fat calories. It's just that they're a smaller percentage of the total calories that you're burning. To get the full picture, we often need to look at both the percentage and the total amount to give us a proper judgement. For instance, would you rather have 100% of £10,000 or 10% of £100,000? Give me the 10% any day. This zone will be where we do our long runs or long cycles, usually slow and steady. For some coaches, this easy stuff, as it may get referred to, should make up about 80% of our training load. But it is not like the easy stuff in Zone 1, where here we do get adaptations happening to this level of stress. Zone 3 is shunned by some coaches and experts, but the default pace of many athletes. As well as being shunned, some others see it as a sweet spot for best of all worlds. In here you will be able to be below threshold but it causes a bit more stress than zone 2. In the real world where we go for a zone 2 workout we will often creep up to zone 3. When the gradient goes up a bit and it, t- it does occur make sure that it doesn't become the default. On days when we are feeling good but are supposed to be in zone 2 again we find ourselves creeping up to zone 3 just because we can this can ruin the aim of the session, and we should be staying where we, where we should be in zone two. We'll still be predominantly aerobic here, but our aerobic system starts to rely a bit more on carbohydrates and a bit less on fats. This is why the creeping up to zone three can not only be bad for the session we are doing, but also for the session, um, that sort of harder session we may plan for the next day. We're using up carbohydrates in the muscle that we may be able to totally replace, not not able to totally replace for the next day. We are maybe not recovering properly from the previous training because the training zone two was being um, useful for helping us to actually recover. And we are taking additional fatigue into a quality or key session the next day. Guess what? You don't hit the number the next day and the key session numbers don't get hit. Meaning the fitness adaptations that the key session should have brought about don't happen. For some athletes this becomes the default and easy sessions always get done harder and harder sessions then become easier and we get this situation where all the training ends up somewhere in the middle on the other hand some coaches particularly in cycling will use the upper part of zone 3 as what they see as an effective training session or suit spot zone 3 may also be race pace for certain distances and so we also need to do sessions in here just to get used to the race pace so whatever your take on it don't avoid it completely Especially, for example, if you're a traffic who's 70.3, the race may well be quite uh, quite considerable, but the race may be well in this zone 3 and you need to get used to it. Zone 4, for most models, this tends to be around the aerobic threshold, just below and just above it. For some models, zone 4 might actually cover everything above this as well, but more now split above threshold into various zones or sub-zones. This is pretty hard work to in this zone. Your threshold is an intensity that you can hold for about an hour. Zone 4 and above will often be used for intervals and these zones we are starting to rely more and more on carbohydrates and less on fats. And as we keep going above zone 4 then we get to the point where we rely exclusively on carbohydrates and we become more and more anaerobic. You may uh, see some long intervals in this zone Zone 4, or if shorter intervals, then usually a relatively long rest period, short rest period will be used. When we look at work to rest ratios for intervals, generally the higher the intensity, then work to rest ratio will get bigger. For example, the interval at threshold may be 5 to 1, meaning 5 units of work to 1 unit of rest, 5 minutes on to 1 minute recovery. For sprinting, this may be 1 to 20, meaning maybe 10 seconds of all out sprint effort followed by 3 minutes or 20 seconds of rest. Zone 5 and above will usually be intervals in terms of training but shorter speed endurance events may also take place at the lower end of these zones. These zones will include intensity at VO2 max which you may be able to maintain for about 5 minutes right up to all out sprints that will last only seconds. Depending on your event some of these upper zones may not be part of your training at all. But at the very least, many endurance athletes will benefit from training intensities around their VO2 max and the adaptations that will, that will bring about. When it comes to hitting the numbers for these intervals, they usually need to be done after an easy day and will require adequate recovery afterwards. They may have big benefits, but they usually need to be carried out fresh and will soon burn you out if you use too frequently. A few things to think about, if you're a multi-sport athlete then needing to use different paces or speed between exercise modes will seem obvious. Your level one speed on a bike, for instance, may be your level three or above speed on a run, and even more so in the water. What's less obvious though, is that some people use the same max heart rate for all three to predict their zones and use the same heart rate zones for each. However, whereas resting heart rate will be the same, max heart rate will vary for all three events due to the difference in weight Burring, muscle mass being used and even body position against gravity. This will be most evident in going from something like a run to a swim. But to see the effect of body position, sit at a constant intensity on a bike, a stationary bike and monitor your heart rate between an upright position with hands off the bar. So um, straight up and then going back onto the bars with the body lean needed to do that. Even better, go right down onto the drops. Look what happens to your heart rate. Your heart rate will drop when you drop down onto the bars. If the training is to work, you get fitter. This means that the metrics you base your heart zones on, or your zones on, will change. Power, speed, or pace, a threshold will go up. Max heart rate may not change, but resting heart rate will do. So if you're using heart rate reserve, um, this will increase. Meaning you need to change the heart rate zones you're using. All this means that you need to retest at regular intervals tests should be carried out every 48 weeks depending on what you're testing the time of the season and your training history. Benefits of using in zones. Firstly they provide a systematic and logic approach to training and can be used in conjunction with periodisation and principles of training. They can help provide focus not just for individual sessions but planning out the week the months and the years they allow for specificity in that they allow the athlete and coach to target specific requirements energy systems or components of the athlete's fitness and particularly to target weaknesses in their performance profile make sure the session is target they help to make sure the session is targeting what is supposed to be targeted and lastly they can help plan recovery thanks for listening